morning, everyone. Right, this morning's reading comes from Genesis 50, verses 15 to 26. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph, saying, Your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done and saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Joseph stayed in Egypt along with all his father's family. He lived 110 years and saw the third generation of Ephraim's children. Also the children of Machir, son of Manasseh, were placed at birth on Joseph's knees. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And Joseph made the Israelites swear an oath and said, God will surely come to your aid and then you must carry my bones up from this place. So Joseph died at the age of 110, and after they embalmed him, he was placed in a coffin in Egypt. Thank you, Stephanie. Well, as you can probably figure, we're going to finish our series in Genesis uh, today. Uh, It's been a wonderful journey, I think. I've enjoyed the journey with the Isaacians. Uh, and it's been, yeah, it's, it's been really eye-opening even for me, I think. So, uh, so let me pray and, uh, and we'll have a closer look at this passage. Father God, I really do praise you for the way that you are faithful. And Lord, we see here again the faithfulness uh, that you have displayed to your people, saving them from famine, saving them uh, from slavery, saving them uh, from each other father Uh, your promises your providence and your uh, and your provision is uh, beyond anything that we can imagine and lord we pray now as we open up this passage that you speak to our hearts and you help us to see particularly the resolution here of relationship and help us to take something away from this which will make us stronger and more faithful and we pray this in jesus name amen Well, I stood there waiting for her. Um, She told me uh, to meet her at four o'clock at Down at the Ovals. We could hang out for the afternoon. I was so excited. I combed my hair down with a perfect part. I wore my best footy jersey. I brushed my teeth forever. Who knows, hey? I'd gone out with girls before. You know, Gaz would get his girlfriend to ask a girl if she liked me and when she liked me I'd go out with her and then by the end of the day she told her friend to tell Gaz that I was dropped but that's just the way it it worked wasn't it but Robin she was different 
she told me at little lunch that she liked me and she wanted to meet me this afternoon. I'd liked her for ages, but it was a different kind of like, one that made me feel sick inside and I even took a couple of days off school. I think it was love. So there I stood waiting and waiting and waiting. She never showed. I couldn't believe it. I was shattered. I didn't go to school for the rest of the week. On Monday, I saw her down the ovals with an older guy from fifth grade. See, broken relationships, they start young. Then we become teenagers and the pain really begins. That first love comes along, the one who is just like so hot and so sweet and so perfect, then he dumps you. Finally, you pluck up the courage to ask that girl you have liked for two years out and she laughs and she says, oh, like as if, loser. See, broken relationships, they're part of our lives. In the meantime, we turn up to Christmas with our families. We make small chit-chat for a while, knowing that somebody is going to mention that fight that happened the other year. It'll end in tears, possibly yelling, or just a lot of silence. Occasionally, a rumble might get thrown across the room. Broken relationships, they are part of our lives. Then we mature and we realise that blaming the world and blaming everybody else doesn't really cut it anymore because there are too many decisions, insults, hurtful words and thoughtless actions that we have inflicted. See, not only are broken relationships part of our lives, but we discover we are at times contributing to them. And by the time we realise it, it just seems too late, doesn't it? It's water under the bridge, let dead dogs lie, no point bringing this up again, but we know that even if we may see the person occasionally and make the odd phone call, the relationship stopped growing a long time ago. Or perhaps you struggle to pick up your phone to call your mother, your father, your brother, your sisters. Perhaps each time you talk to them, there's just something sitting in the background from the past that's unresolved and that relationship has been stunted. Perhaps there is someone here in this church family that if you glanced left or right, you would avoid eye contact with. You'd struggle to engage with them in conversation because of an unresolved hurt that maybe do, you're doing or maybe they're doing. Perhaps it's a relationship where both of you have moved on and reconciliation is no longer wise. See, we all suffer broken relationships. Broken relationships are the heart of all conflict, all destructive behaviour in our world. We see it playing out everywhere. Ukraine, Russia, the Middle East, in family homes everywhere. But relationship is at the heart of God. God is a God of relationship. So how do we live for him when our lives are so dysfunctional at times relationally? Well, God answers that in this passage we're looking at today and it really sums up the whole book of Genesis in terms of the relationship between the holy, perfect God and his sinful, rebellious creation. Well, Genesis 50, 15 to 26 answers this question. How do we as God's people live in our world of broken 
relationships. Well, Genesis 49 to 50 is the finale of the book of Genesis. Genesis begins with God creating the world, declaring it good. It ends with the deaths of Jacob and Joseph and Israel. See, God tells man and woman in Genesis 2 that if they disobey and eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they will surely die. And of course, they eat. There is nothing anybody can do about it. The great intruders, sin and death, now enter the world. It's our destiny. Relationships are at the heart of this crumbling reality. Lying between husbands and wives begins. The avoidance of God rather than the seeking of God becomes our nature. And by the end of Genesis, it becomes very clear that humanity cannot be relied upon to live up to the righteousness that God requires. There has been murder, lying, rape, adultery, blackmail, even the, even the selling of a brother into slavery out of jealousy. See, the very people that God is building into a nation are the very people trying to destroy it as part of their nature. In chapter 49, Jacob, who is now called Israel by God, brings the brothers around his deathbed and tells them what will happen to them in the days to come. Jacob makes his sons promise to bury him with Abraham and Isaac in the promised land. And immediately before today's text, that promise is fulfilled and all of Jacob's family go down to bury him, back to Canaan, and then they return to Egypt. Then at the beginning of this passage, in Genesis 50, verse 15, we read this. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So the only common element between this family, between these brothers was their father. That's what bound them together. They had different mothers. Now that father has died and tensions from the past have come to the surface. Joseph has all the power and authority now. They were dependent on Joseph and his position for food because of the famine. And they no longer have their father Jacob to create that peace in their perception. So the brothers take matters into their own hands and consistent with the wisdom of selling Joseph into slavery, they devise a plan which is based on three great human qualities that seem to appear wherever, whenever we're afraid of punishment. They lie instead of acknowledging the reality of the truth. They do everything they can to avoid saying sorry. And then they try to negotiate their punishment rather than accepting the punishment that they deserve. It's a classic example of how we deal with our problems when we try to fix them according to the wisdom of the world. Now the lies, the lies in verses 16 and 17, we're told, so they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. 
This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When the message came to him, Joseph wept. Nowhere are we ever given the impression throughout all of this episode from chapter 37 to 50 that Jacob ever found out that the brothers had sold Joseph into slavery. He never found out. In his final address to his sons in chapter 49, the incident is never mentioned, despite many other incidents being mentioned. And notice the brothers try and manipulate the truth in order to manipulate Joseph. And in doing so, they dishonour the two most important people in Joseph's life, his father and his father God. See, they outright lie about what Jacob said on his deathbed, dishonouring him. And they refer to themselves as the servants of God, your, of your father, for no other reason than to gain an advantage for themselves rather than to bring glory to God. And we do that all the time, don't we? We will do anything to avoid accepting that we have made a mistake. It began in the garden. The woman made me do it. The snake made me do it. And it continues today. It began in Genesis right at the beginning. And we see it continues right at the end. So firstly, they lie. But secondly, Joseph's brothers just can't bring themselves to say sorry. Sorry, please forgive us. Have a look at what they do. They implied Jacob knew about the incident, their father Jacob, that is, knew about the incident, and in turn imply they'd said sorry to their father. They do this in, or, in order to avoid saying sorry and asking forgiveness of Joseph. See, we can regret what we've done. We can, be, we can keep amicably amicably talking to the other person but regardless of what our world tells us time does not heal only true forgiveness truly heals it is possible to forgive without the other person saying sorry and we'll see joseph does that but it is impossible for the person who has done the wrong to ever be released from their guilt and their shame unless they come to a point of repentance, of being sorry inwardly and outwardly. Release from that guilt of these brothers, from the guilt that gnaws away at this, us in those moments of quietness, never leaves us, no matter how far deep we bury it, unless we humble ourselves and ask for forgiveness. A number of years ago, probably 20 years ago now, when I used to travel to and from the city all the time and catch the train, the trains used to be really good in Sydney. They used to be on time when I first started work. And then everything went pear-shaped. It just suddenly imploded. And I'll never forget, it was so bad that you would expect your train to be half an hour late. So City Rail, they decided to record a message. And that message simply said, 
and it was a recorded message. It used to be the person saying something in the microphone. The next train on platform two is running 15 minutes late. City Rail regrets the inconvenience. I didn't need to hear about their regret. I needed to hear that they were sorry. City Rail, like us and like Joseph's brothers, do whatever they can to avoid saying sorry. Don't let your pride get in the way of saying sorry. Well, the third thing Joseph's brothers do is try to negotiate their punishment. Have a look at verse 18. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. Now on the surface, this looks like repentance. It looks like a plead for mercy. But a, a person who pleads for mercy also accepts that they deserve the fullness of their punishment. A person who truly repents asks for forgiveness, knowing full well that they will take whatever it is that's dished out to them. They may plead for mercy. But they don't come in repentance. They come thinking they have something to negotiate. They say, we are your slaves. They've named the punishment. We are your slaves. They were already his slaves, really. They were already in a position that they had to do what he said simply because he was the ruler of Egypt. They relied on him to eat. See, they're fooling themselves. They have nothing to offer. They can't even offer themselves as slaves. All they can do is throw themselves at his mercy, but they don't do that. Rather, they continue to try to appease Joseph and hope to come away with a punishment less severe than the death he could have and righteously imposed. They tried to kill him. God saved him. Now he had all the power and he, in that power and authority of Egypt, could have easily imposed death upon them. And we do this with each other and we do this with God. We think we have something to bring to the negotiating table. We might mention uh, things about others and gossip about our brothers and sisters here in the church. And when they find out, we say, oh, I, don't, I didn't mean that. It must have been blown out of all proportion. There must have been a miscommunication. But we know that if we valued our relationships, we wouldn't have said anything in the first place. Or we would have approached our brother or sister first. The only way you can make things right in that instance is to ask forgiveness, to accept responsibility and to lay it down before. Offer to fix it, yes, if that's possible, but don't negotiate your punishment or try to avoid getting out of it for the consequence of your sin. Now on Thursday, thankfully I was well enough by Wednesday afternoon to think that I might go to Parkley Correctional Facility again. It's, it's the most wonderful ministry. And we were up to week four, so there was 12 inmates in a room with me and one of the other guys was sick, so me and Kelly. And we played the video, which is the Alpha course, um, week four. And at the end of that week, well, during, during the video, 
it makes you stop to have discussions. And those discussions, they were very robust this week, let me tell you. And there was all sorts of accusations about all this has been made up and all this kind of stuff. And it got quite to the point where they started apologising to me because they thought that it offended me, which was kind of powerful, but anyway. <coughs> but we got to the end of the video and I hadn't seen that video yet. And Nicky Gumbel, at the end of that video, he prays the sinner's prayer and invites anyone who's watching to pray it with him. Now, after the discussions we've had, I thought they were going to just turn on me, to be perfectly honest. It felt uncomfortable for me. And that's the end of the video, and then it just stops. And I'm looking around, not really gauging the room, and suddenly one of them just goes, that was so powerful. And then all 12 of them are just shaking their head going, that was so powerful. It was like everything in the room changed. And so I said, well, if anyone has prayed that prayer or wants to talk more, why don't you just hang back? Anyway, so we finished up and one of the fellas hung back and he goes, look, I just want to talk to you. And he says, oh, can we play that part of the video at the end again? I just want to watch it again with you. I said, what, the prayer? And he goes, yeah. And there he was praying the sinner's prayer, weeping and saying, I know everything I've done and I just want to make it right. I know everything I've done. I can't do anything to fix it. I just want to make it right. And he knew the only way to make that right was to hand his life over to the Lord. And he did that right then and there. What a privilege. But you know, so often we then move on from this and we play these games when in fact with each other we need to just confess, say sorry and put ourselves at the mercy of the other if you have wronged them. And if you've been wronged and that person comes and lays themselves down before you, then we exercise what God has done for us and exercise the forgiveness. See, Shane understood that in the prison. This man that filled with tats, the hardness of his life all over his face. If I met him in a, in a, in a, in a dark alley, I'd be running. But I tell you, at that moment, he understood everything that he had done. And that doesn't, that doesn't change once we give our life to the Lord and we move into relationship with him and each other. See, Joseph's brothers here are a reflection of the world's wisdom when dealing with broken relationships. But God teaches us to acknowledge the truth instead of lying. Say sorry and ask forgiveness and accept our punishment rather than negotiate it. There's another fella called John. He's just won an art prize, like a national art prize. He's an indigenous fella, and he did, uh, and he's got, got this painting. This isn't the one that he's given his life to Christ, and he's done this painting of Jesus feeding the 4,000. Now, I've seen it half-finished, um, and it was just mind-blowing. He's going to bring it next week to show us fully finished. And he says to me, he hasn't been sentenced yet. And he just says, 
I'm probably going to get five, six years. It's going to be hard, but that's what I deserve. He accepts his punishment. This is the only way to build a true community, a true family of God, the one which reflects forgiveness, the love and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the only way to come into relationship with God. It is the only way to maintain it. And it's the only way to maintain relationship as a community of God's people. This is how we deal with relationships when we've been wronged or when we are the wronging party. See, Joseph's response to his brothers here is in stark contrast to what they expected. His first response is in verse 17 when he weeps. They bring up something that no one had actually spoken about. Eight times in Genesis, Joseph weeps. And it's all when he's encountered his brothers and he has to go away and weep so he doesn't give his identity away. You see, forgiveness is still painful. Someone has to suffer. And you will when you forgive. But when you value relationship more, and he weeps because finally it's all brought out and all the pains and the hurts, well, it's all before him. But then we're told, Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Verse 19, verse 20, you intended to harm me. But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Am I in the place of God? You see, Joseph is seeing the bigger picture. And even if we can't see the bigger picture, as people of the sovereign Lord, the creator of heaven and earth, the sustainer of all things, the redeemer of us through the Lord Jesus who has demonstrated his love so powerfully by giving his one and only son for us. We need to accept there is a bigger picture. See, the important thing for Joseph was the important thing for God, relationship. Joseph loved because he could see that God had loved him and had never left him through this whole ordeal in Egypt. Joseph humbled himself before God, which led to him expressing a response to his brothers in God's way of relationship, forgiveness. So is your pride holding you back from exercising forgiveness and mercy towards your brother or sister? It's never too late. It took 23 years for Joseph to be reconciled to his brothers. Sometimes our relationships appear irreconcilable. But that is never the case before God. Yet Joseph goes beyond forgiveness and mercy here. By providing for those that tried to kill him, despite them not deserving it, he enters grace. You see, mercy is not getting what we deserve, the punishment. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. That is the free gift beyond mercy. 
He has said that he will provide for them and their children. He will give them the grain. He will lavish abundance upon them. Even though he could have demanded they paid it, he could have said, well, you can live in the land or not live in the land. You can do as everyone else has to do. Come to me and pay. But no, I will provide See, Genesis ends here with the hope that God's grace and God's mercy and God's forgiveness will triumph over the sin and rebellion that destroyed the relationship at the beginning. This is what this picture is. It's a picture of Joseph reflecting the lavishness of what God is doing to fulfill his promises. The undeserved brothers receiving provision. And ultimately, this is pointing us to that undeserved mercy and grace we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. So the end of the beginning is where we're at. But it's pointing us to the beginning of the end. The beginning of the end was when Jesus was raised from the dead, having suffered on your behalf. We are now in the last days. We are now at the beginning of the end. And the end of the beginning here has always been pointing to that, a day of grace and mercy and forgiveness. Because that is the God whom we love. That is the God who loves us. That is the God who has lavished us with more than we ever deserved. That is the God, if you humble yourself like Shane did and lay your life at the foot of the cross, that he won't just forgive you, but he will provide beyond any measure that we have in this earth, an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, an adoption into his family and a life everlasting. Now my prayer is that as a congregation we can reflect that in our relationships. We are not like the brothers. We are like the type Joseph, that points towards the beginning of the end, the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the only way for a healthy, true church to move into a space where God will abundantly flourish and provide and bless because we seek to live in his way and not our way. I'll just leave you with a story uh, that happened, I wasn't there, but in a place called Canteen Creek in the middle of nowhere in Outback Australia. There was a mission team from SMBC that uh, headed out there to do some uh, mission work amongst the small community of 300 people. Um, there's a couple, they were out there, a couple who'd been out there 25 years as missionaries, just given their life to this space. And they were always wondering, have we made any impact here? And the mission team came along. And during those two weeks that they were there, a devastating reality happened 
and a baby was killed. Now, in the uh, Aboriginal law, um, it's payback. Life for life, eye for an eye. So in order to make up for the death of that baby, the person who inflicted that was to be speared. Now, this mission team had been there for two weeks. And the elders met and they discussed it. And they come back and they say, they said this, this time we will do it the Jesus way. Now, if you want to see the impact that the gospel has on people's lives who move from eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, to the Jesus way of love and forgiveness, punishment, absolutely, but the Jesus way. And that's the way that we are pointed to at the end of the beginning as we live in the beginning of the end. Heavenly Father, thank you for this wonderful book of Genesis. Thank you that you have pointed us to the realities of our own sinfulness, but also the realities of your own grace and mercy. Father God, thank you that you never gave up on your people. Thank you that you have pointed us to the fulfillment of those promises, to the fulfillment of your provision, to the fulfillment of all things in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, we pray that we will be a people who live by the Jesus way of forgiveness, mercy and grace. And we pray this in his name. Amen.